This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with the obligatory reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Now, I say that in every episode. And, you know, the reviews are not flying in, but people are still listening. So I have to, I have to think that they're enjoying the pod because they are still listening. But, you know, hit the pause button right now and, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Help us out. All right. Let's get to this week's guest who has been on the podcast before and is a huge fan favorite. In fact, after his appearance uh, in season two on the podcast, I have, I've had several of you reach out to me and say, hey, when are we getting Ivy Tat back on? When's he coming back on? Get him back on. And so I reached out to him and you know what? Your, your questions have been answered. He is here tonight. When last we heard from him, he was getting ready to head out on the Continental Divide Trail on the last leg of the Triple Crown for him. So welcome back to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Jeff Ivy Tat Oliver. Thanks for having me back, brother. You know me, I'm always ready to talk about hiking. <laughs> so here I am. And it does not seem that long ago that you and I talked, but it was all the way back on no. April 12th. 
Yeah, it was a while ago. Time flies when you're on trail. You really lose track of all times. But yeah, it's been a while. Yep. And so just uh, some reminders for our listeners and for you. Um, IBTAT, you have to tell us the the story behind IBTAT. I'm very familiar with it, but maybe some some of our listeners who are tuning in for the first time, this is their first experience with you. How did you come by IBTAT as a trail name? I uh, shot myself in the foot by uh, naming my YouTube channel that because now I have to explain the story. <laughs> every single hiker I meet. So my trail name is IB Tat. And when people meet me and I tell them the trail name, they automatically assume it's because I'm covered in tattoos, which is fair enough. I get it. What Where that name came from, I actually named my YouTube channel IB Tat. It stands for I've Been to a Town. It's a line from the movie Jeremiah Johnson, which is my favorite movie of all time. Um, the basic premise is uh, Robert Redford plays a, a fur trapper. Uh, after the Civil War, and he's being attacked by Native Americans the entire movie. Um, and his mountain man buddy looks at him one night and says, you know, maybe you should get out of these mountains, go down to a town where it's safe. And he looked at him and he says, I've already been to a town. Like, he'd rather stay up in the mountains because that's where he's happy, even though his life is at risk. I, I love that line so much. I stole it, named it my YouTube channel. That This is before I even started through hiking. Once I hit the trail, people knew me from that, and it stuck as a trail name. So if you want to believe it's from the tattoos, so be it, but that's the real story behind the name. Yeah. So when you're in the mood not to not to talk about not to give that long story, you just say, "Hey, tattoos." But when you're when you yeah, got some so time on your hands, the hands, then you, you give yeah. them the full explanation. I, I do, I do, I do love telling that story because it means it does mean a lot to me. I wouldn't have named my YouTube channel that, but I love that movie and I love that line. So yeah, I I, I do like the the story behind it. So yeah, when I got the time, I, I'm glad to tell it. Yeah, really, it seems like it really resonates with your lifestyle. And I, yeah, I got absolutely. you. I got you mid drink there as you were drinking your diet Coke. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <That's> yeah, <okay>. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right. And Hey, another, uh, another reminder for you, just want to uh, point out that we do have a segment towards the end of the episode called the pro tip inside of the week. And that's uh, where I will turn to you and say, IB tat, what, what little piece of trail wisdom do you have for our, our listeners out there to make their next outdoor experience even better? So don't be surprised when we get to that. Okay. All right. Hey, since the last time we talked, I put in a, a new little segment uh, that I really enjoy. It's called the uh, hiking pole and it's not P-O-L-E, it's P-O-L-L. So a survey here. We got, we got some topics here. I want to get your opinion. I'll let our listeners out there know uh, which side of the, the fence you fall on with each of these uh, topics. So let's uh, go let's, for it. All right. Uh, first one, boots or trail runners? Trail runners, I would say if you know, spend any time on these long trails through hikers, at least you'll see 90% of them wearing trail runners. They just, they're lighter. They dry out quicker. Yes. They're not as durable. There are through hikers that do wear boots. Still. I've met plenty of them personally. Um, I'll never switch, go back to boots. It's all trail runners. Okay. And on a trail like the continental divide trail, 3,000, mm-hmm. 3,100 miles thereabouts, depending which, uh, which mm-hmm. route you take, how many sets of trail runners did you go through? I think I went through six pair actually. I wear, you know, that's the downside of trail runners. They're not durable. So for me, I'm, I'm consistent with getting four to 500 miles out of a pair, and then they're pretty much toast. I have rocked a pair for over 700 on the PCT. Um, but in reality, looking back, I, I probably should have swapped them out at 500. They're just not durable. So, yeah, the price adds up um, on trail runners. But you know, I don't get blisters, and they dry out so quick. I'll take those downsides over not getting blisters any day of the week, and that's why I stick with trail runners. 
That's right. I totally agree with you. Uh, I, I, I switched to trail runners because I was having blister mm-hmm. problems with my boots and haven't had a blister since. And it's been a game changer. There are traditionalists out there. They'll always rock boots and that works for them. So do, do what works for you. Personally, I love trail runners. I'll never go back. <clears throat> Absolutely. All right. Next one, tent or tarp. I'm a tent guy. Um, yeah, I'm a tent guy. I've never tried the hammock thing. I've never tried a tarp. Um, there's something for me about, I mean, when I, that tent is my home for six months. So, you know, I, I love going in there at night. It's, it's my own little cocoon at night where I can kind of close myself off from other hikers that may be around me and just kind of be by myself. Um, so I, I just love being in my tent at night. And on top of that, you know, I've cowboy camped before. I hate doing it because I'm so disorganized with my gear that as soon as I get to camp, I just toss my shit everywhere in my tent. And if I had a tarp or something, something would be lost in the morning. I need all that stuff around me in my tent. Um, yeah, there's there's a, a routine of setting it up every uh, night and, and breaking it down every morning. It's just relaxing. I don't know. I just love love being in a tent. Okay. And especially when it's raining, raining outside, just that sound hitting your tent at night is, is pretty special. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so inside that tent, sleeping bag or quilt? Um, I... When I first started backpacking, I went. I was using a sleeping bag, and then started researching gear on what other hikers were using, and it seemed like most of them were switching to quilts. So before I hit the AT back in 2018, I switched to a quilt just to try it out. I did a few section hikes um, with that quilt before my through hike, and, and found that I, I liked it. And um, you know, you're missing the the hood on a quilt, but you know, you just wear a beanie and you're fine. And in the summer months when it's hot, you can zip unzip that thing completely like a blanket so you can air it out. So it's very uh, multi-use. You can get away. I get away with one quilt the entire through hike. Whereas you see a lot of people that are using sleeping bags. They might have like a, you know, a, a, a 10 degree bag and a 40 degree bag for the summer months and they swap them out. Whereas a quilt, it's kind of, you can, you can use one, one thing to do best of both worlds on a through hike. So yeah, uh, I switched to a quilt back in 2018 and haven't looked back. Yeah, and those you can get a, a a nice nicely rated quilt, a real cold rated quilt, and then you know hang a leg out or you know put it down, mm-hmm. push it down. It's a lot easier to sleep in, uh, be able to move around on it in it, in it free uh, freely. If you are a, I guess it depends on how you sleep. So if you are a kind of guy who just climbs into a bag, sleeps on his back, and and doesn't move the whole night, I mean maybe that's the way to go for you. But man, if you're a side sleeper or you're moving around a lot, the the quilt is a lot less constricting. Yeah, I'm a side sleeper. I will say the quilt I used on the AT and PCT, I ended up using the same quilt that lasted two through hikes um, from a company called Enlightened Equipment, which they make really good quilts. There's many companies out there that make good quilts these days, but Enlightened Equipment I got, and um, because I roll around so much, I did feel a little trapped in that thing. So they, especially companies like Enlightened Equipment, you can customize these things on their website. So I switched and got a wide version um, for the CDT. That allowed me to roll back and forth, back and forth, and not feel like I was I was cramped in there. So uh, consider that if you're getting a quilt, you know they make them customize it. You know, the denier of the fabric, the length, the width, uh, the temperature rating, everything can be customized uh, through that company. So um, give give it a shot, and then if it's not working for you, you can you can customize it after that to to suit your needs. That's great. That's great. All right, and last question in the poll: stove or cold soak? Um, I'm a, I'm a stove guy. I always have been and always will be mainly because I am a coffee addict. Um, 
on trail and off. I need hot coffee in the morning. Even in the summer months when it's, you know, 90 degrees by 10 a.m., I'm fiending for hot coffee in the morning. So I could get away with cold soaking, cold soaking food, no problem. Actually, in fact, cooking is a chore for me when I'm on a trail. I absolutely hate doing it. You, I'm, you know, you need calories to hike on these through hikes or else you're screwing yourself. So you need to force yourself to eat. Now, I will say having a hot dinner in the colder months is a nice treat at the end of the night, but it was still a chore for me. I always hated it. So, yeah, I could get away with eating just wraps and just like, you know, spooning peanut butter out of a jar and be just fine calorie wise. But like I said, the hot coffee thing in the morning, that's the reason I always carry a stove. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who's tuned into your videos on your YouTube channel knows about that hot coffee in the morning. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> I start my morning on YouTube every day filming me make coffee. So it's kind of become my thing. If I were to skip that, then there'd be a lot of upset people watching me, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, another feature we've been doing, I'm not sure if we did this back in April or not, but it's the must bring gear review and it's sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, Outdoor Vitals. Does this sound familiar to you? Yeah, absolutely. Did we do that before? Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay, all right. So now that you've got another 3,100 miles under, under your shoes, I want to see if your your uh, must-bring piece of gear has changed. So this is how it works. If, if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand, uh, even better. So Ivy Tat, what is your must-bring piece of gear? I'd like to say my camera, but I know that doesn't, apply to most hikers because i film and photograph so much so as far as like traditional hiking gear a good pair of trail runners because you know your feet are everything when you're on the trail it's if you're if your feet are messed up you're not pushing miles i don't care you could have the best backpack in the world the best tent whatever but if your feet are messed up you can say goodbye to your through hike um so your feet are the biggest thing you have to take care of on trail and so a good pair of trail runners is, is number one for me. And do you, what, what brand of trail runners do you typically go with? I've worn, uh, well, I started with La Sportiva Wildcats before I started through hiking. Um, I found that I got blisters with those. They weren't quite wide enough for my feet. Um, and then somebody had told me about ultra lone peaks, um, and how they have really wide toe boxes. So I gave them a shot and I, that was back in the, 2.5 version of those shoes they're up to the 5.0s mm -hmm. now but so i've rocked those since the 2.5 version i've had a total of three blisters combined on all three through hikes wearing those shoes and like i said before they're not the most durable things in the world but because i've had so few blisters and your feet are so important on these long hikes that's why i've stayed with those shoes and I've, i'm a strong believer and if it ain't broke don't fix it there's plenty of other brands that probably will work for me but I have no reason to change because I, the Lone Peaks, they, they keep my feet in tip-top shape on these hikes. There you go. Ivy Tat says, ultra Lone Peaks, and I have to agree, those are a pair of fantastic shoes. And if, it, if you're right, exactly right, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So, mm -hmm. all right. And um, I'm curious, that's a, a good point. You use those those shoes on all three hikes. What, what did change in your gear from hike to hike? from uh, AT to PCT to now the CDT. Any big changes for the CDT? No, it's basically the same setup. Um, I've upgraded gear as far as new models come out, but the basic same setup I've used on all three trails. Um, you know, I use a non-freestanding tent. I've used a quilt on all three trails, same shoes, 
the stoves I've changed up a little bit only because I've had some mishaps with my stoves. I've tried two different ones on these three through hikes. And um, what else have I changed? Um, I've had I'm, my sleep. I've had real bad issues with sleeping pads on all three trails. Um, so, but I've always used thermorest pads, a blow up pad um, I need because I'm a side sleeper. Um, but the basic setup has, has been the same. It's just upgrading gear to new, newer models is all. Right. Again, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. You know, that's right. Okay. Hey, before we get into the CDT, let's, uh, let's remind our listeners uh, kind of where you're located and also your, your backstory. What is the origin story of IBTAT, where you grew up, how you got involved in, in uh, through hiking? Um, I'm currently in Georgia. Um, I, I don't really have a home. <laughs> Wherever I end up is where I end up. It's not like I have a home to go to. I've ended up in Georgia the last two years, um, but I grew up in Michigan, um, Southeast Michigan, um, but I got introduced to the outdoors. Most people that live in Michigan, you know, the money is to be made in Southeast Michigan through around the auto industry, which most, most of the economy is, is run around the big three in, in Detroit, but most, I don't say most, but a lot of people have cottages up in Northern Michigan. You know, we call it up North. It's, it's like, the Pacific Northwest or up in the Northern East coast up by Maine, it's the same kind of vibe. So I spent my childhood uh, we had cottage up in Northern Michigan and I grew up a deer hunter, fisherman, outdoorsman. Um, I had, I didn't miss an opening day of deer season from the time I was like 12 or 14, all the way up to like 22. It was deer camp. That's where, that's what you do in Michigan. Like schools are closed on opening day of deer season in Michigan. That's how important it is. Um, so yeah, I grew up running around the Northern Michigan woods. Um, I wasn't a hiker per se, just, just an avid outdoorsman, fisherman and all that hiking came later on, but I've always had an appreciation, appreciation for the outdoors growing up in Michigan. Okay. And when did you get into hiking? When did you actually hear that there was such a thing as a trail that goes from the Mexican border to the Canadian border and you could, you can walk that entire length. It wasn't until my mid thirties actually. Um, I was living out in Montana, working as a pack guide up in the Bob Marshall wilderness. Um, and I lived up in Montana for four years. So my introduction to actually backpacking was up in Glacier National Park on the Highline Trail up there it was actually my first like real legit backpacking trip. Absolutely fell in love with it. It was, and I had read a walk in the woods way back when, when it first came out. So I knew of the Appalachian Trail, had no idea about the Pacific Crest Trail or any of those, but I knew of the Appalachian Trail from that book. Um, but then I had moved to North Carolina and I started doing section hikes on the AT. Um, and I was doing an overnight trip up on Max Patch, which is a section of the AT near Hot Springs, North Carolina. And I had met a couple of through hikers that were hiking that year. They'd come up and camp next to me and I got to talking to them. And I saw them walk off Max Patch the next morning. And I thought to them, I'm like looking at these guys and they're like, I'm like, these guys are hiking to Maine. That is the coolest fucking thing in the world. And so I went home from that trip and started Googling long AT, you know, long trails through hiking. And I became obsessed with it. And from that moment on, I had decided not just to do the AT, but I wanted a triple crown. I wanted to do all three of them. So yeah, that was back in probably 2016, 17, somewhere around there is when I became obsessed with through hiking <laughs> and, and, uh, actually hiked uh hiked the at in 2018 is when i started through hiking but uh up until that point when i decided to do the the long trails 
you know, I figured I better see if I actually like this lifestyle first. So you know, I went to REI, bought a bunch of gear and I started doing weekend trips on the AT, which quickly turned into, you know, weekends, section hikes, week long trips. So by the time I had hit the AT for my through hike, I had already sectioned hiked pretty much the whole Southern section of the AT up until like Damascus, Virginia. I'd, I'd already done all that as, as a, as a section hiker. Got it. And before we get into a little review of your AT hike and your PCT hike, I want to just point out to folks that your Instagram handle is not IBTAT. Uh, it's actually Saved by Mountains, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So your YouTube is is uh, IBTAT, your trail name is IBTAT, and your Instagram is Saved by Mountains. You want to explain a little bit about uh, how that came to be? Yeah. Um, Saved by Mountains, I, I take that quite literal when I I named that my Instagram handle that. So my my backstory is uh, I grew up in Michigan as a hunter, outdoorsman. Well, you know, I, I became I always had a drinking problem from the time I was young, probably 16, 17 years old. I, I started to develop an early drinking problem, which only got worse as I got older. By the time I had hit my 20s, I was already a full blown alcoholic um, and basically drank my life away for close to 15 years. Um, I you know, I can't, I got to the point where, you know, I was, I was getting close to death's door. I'd already attempted suicide twice. I was extremely depressed. Um, I was alone in the world and I just didn't, I didn't want to continue. I woke up in 2013, the day after my birthday, and I looked myself in the mirror and I, I said, well, you have two choices here. You, you can either live or you can die. It's, it's up to you. You know, I had people in my family, my, my life that were close to me that were trying to get me to quit for the longest time, but I had to make that decision. So I woke up, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, that's it. I'm done drinking. Um, I went cold Turkey, which not a lot of people can do. It was very difficult. I went through a couple of weeks of withdrawals and then finally got over that period. And that's when I went to the local outfitter, bought a backpack and a mountain bike and started playing in the mountains. The mountains saved my life. Um, when I quit drinking, I had a huge void in my life. I'd been drinking every day for the last 10 to 15 years. And when I quit that, I didn't know what to do with myself and, um, backpacking and hiking in the mountains filled that void that I was, I had in my life when I quit. So, so you know, I say saved by mountains, quite literally mountains, <clears throat> the mountains did save my life. And it's not just the, the physical aspect we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, the exercise and, and getting into shape. It's, it's, it was very much a mental uh solution other nature well. well yeah it's a mental thing for sure they went hand in hand depression alcoholism a lot of that goes hand in hand um you know mother nature can heal you um not everybody i tried everything under the sun to get sober aa went to inpatient outpatient treatment therapists priests i went to everything you know that didn't work for me it works for some people didn't work for me once i got out in mother nature got some vitamin d in my body and, you know, started hoofing up mountains, I, I felt a sense of purpose. So mother nature definitely healed me for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too deep into this, but w- I mean, what do you think it is about mother nature that is so, so healing and regenerative? I'm not a, I'm not a religious person. I wouldn't even say I'm spiritual, but personally, when I'm in, in nature, you feel something. And I don't know if it's a, you know, they talk about in AA, a higher power, you know, whatever that may be, there's something bigger than me in those mountains that I, I feel like 
it's hard to describe. I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel at peace when I'm out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the media, when I get off these trails, I'm around a bunch of people and I don't hear the birds chirping and I don't hear mountain streams and I'm not, you know, exerting myself physically up mountains. I'm, I'm missing something in my life. The minute I go out on a day hike, you immediately feel that whatever it is, higher power immediately. And if you could be having a shitty day, no matter how shitty it is, you go out on a walk through the woods, you come back feeling like a million bucks. It happens every time. So, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm completely healed from my past, but I know that if I'm getting those old feelings back, all I have to do is go take a walk out in the woods and it's going to, it's going to make me feel a hell of a lot better. So right. get away from the hustle, the bustle, all the appointments, uh, all the distractions, get back to the, the sim- simplicity of, of being out there on a walk in the woods. It's a powerful thing, man. Yeah. And every, anybody, anybody that's been out on a through hike, they can tell you the same, same thing. The, they'll probably describe it a little different, but there's, there's something, there's a feeling you get from being in mother nature that, that is, is, it's too special to put into words. Mm -hmm. And literally saved your life. Absolutely. Right. Yep. I'd probably be dead or in jail if I hadn't found through hiking, to be honest with you. Okay. So you did, uh, you did some section hiking of the AT and Mm -hmm. then you decided, Hey, I'm gonna do the full thing. Georgia to Maine. And how did that go? That was your first long trail, right? Yeah. I think it comes from my addictive personality. Like I could have easily just said, Oh, I'll hike a week here, a week here, and then go back to work. Now it's like, I'm, I got full bore or don't do it at all. So yeah, I I decided to do the whole thing and not just that, but the triple crown, um, I'd planned from the get go. You know, like I said, I had section hike, done a lot of section hiking before my three or so by the time I hit the trail, you know, I, was, I wouldn't say I was seasoned, but I had a pretty good idea of what I was in for. Um, so there wasn't too many surprises. It was just, I hadn't, through hiking is, is just an extension of, of section hiking. If you've done a week, week before, you can do a through hike. Basically, you do a week, get into town, recoup, re, regenerate, you know, your, your body and your mind and go out and do another week. It's just an extension of that. So, Okay. And how long did it take you on the, on the AT? Took me uh, six months. Uh, I started April fourth, uh, right in the heart of the bubble, and I finished October fourth on the AT. Mm-hmm. Yep, six months. Uh, the PCT took uh, a little bit longer um, for two reasons. My ankle ended up crapping out up in Washington, and then winter came early in 2019. So we were trudging through snow, basically the last 120 miles of the PCT. So I didn't finish that till October 25th. So you know, uh, six months and a week or so. CDT took me six months in a week. Yeah. So around six months on every hike. Okay. And typically when you are preparing for the, for the long trails, I mean, do you do a lot of research and investigation in, you know, into what you could expect and what, you know, what to anticipate out there? Or are you, are you kind of uh, you know, I'm just gonna, I know that I know the basics and I'm just, I'm just going to go. I wing it. I wing it 100%. People, uh, I've had people tell me that's a stupid thing. You should at least prep what's what you're going into i never had i don't look at when i prep for these hikes i get make sure my gear's dialed in you know so before i start through hiking i was that's why i section hike so i at least get my gear dialed in had a somewhat sense of what i needed to carry so that wasn't a big surprise but as far as looking ahead to like trail towns resupply points you know mileage water sources i absolutely did zero research take it as it comes 
and I made it. So, you know, I think people plan and some people love doing that. I get it. You know, I've met people that have planned out every resupply point, how many miles they're doing every single day. Some people like doing that and I get that, but I'm the complete opposite. Take it as it comes because I found in my experience from these last three trails, plans never work out the way you you plan to, you know, something's going to happen and those plans are going to have to change. So why stress about it? I'm out there to have fun. I'm on vacation. You know, I don't want to be stressing about, well, I don't want to work for a living. I don't want to worry about schedules. I don't want to, you know, I just want to go and have fun. Enjoy the moment. That's what, why I'm out there. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like Mike Tyson said once, he said that everybody's got a game plan until they get punched in the nose. Yeah, exactly. What happens if you get caught in a blizzard, man, you didn't, you can plan for that. You know, you're stuck with the gear that you have on your back. You adapt and you, you go from there one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Now, even though you didn't plan out, you know, mileage, daily mileage or, or, or resupply points, were there certain things that you were looking forward to certain experiences you were looking forward to on the AT certain locations that you'd heard about? Um, yeah, obviously there's the, there's the iconic places like, um, McAfee knob is a huge one. Every three acre looks forward to getting to there, um, crossing over into Maine, you know, the, um, what's it called the hardest mile on the AT what is it called I can't remember the name of it uh up in Maine you know there's certain landmarks certain landmarks that three acres know about Mm -hmm. um so you do look forward to those trail days you know in Damascus you you hear stories of how crazy that party is but you don't know (laughs) until you actually get there same with other trails you know PCT uh, CDT you know of like things like the Cirque of the Towers or just going through the Sierras Forester Pass things like this um, that you do look forward to. Mm-hmm. And did it live up to the hype? The, the, uh, oh, these, yeah. these points on the trails. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> a McAfee knob, um, you know, you see photos of that thing. It's the most photographed location on the Appalachian trail. Um, not only from three acres, but it's so close to a parking lot. A lot of day hikers go up there and do that. And, uh, I end up getting naked in front of like, 20 tourists on that day on top of a McAfee. <laughs> so it was definitely a memorable, memorable moment. <laughs> a memorable moment for all involved, I bet. So yeah, I, I probably uh, gave some people some nightmares for a while after that day. <laughs> <laughs> and any, any favorite stories from the AT that uh, you like to share with folks, you know, some, some good type two fun. Type two fun. Let's see. Um, wasn't too much type two fun. The AT, the biggest thing about the AT is, is just, you have to be used to get used to being wet all the time. Like it's the AT is no, it's the East coast and it rains so damn much. Um, you know, it rained on me at one point, it rained on me like 12 days in a row through Virginia. Like when you're putting wet underwear on for like the third day in a row, it's, it, it sucks. Like you're just miserable. Um, that can't be healthy it's, for the for the nether regions to be uh no, chafing for, oh geez chafing was a nightmare on the Appalachian Trail. You're wet constantly. You know, you don't even bother drying stuff out. You might get a sunny day for like lunch, and it's like, well, you know, you stop bothering drying shit up because you're just gonna be wet again the next day. Um, that's the worst part of the AT, I would say. The terrain, you just get the terrain doesn't get any easier. In fact, it gets harder as you go, especially when you get to like the whites in, in Maine. Um, but by that time you're, you're, you got your trail legs, so it's not that big of a deal. I would just say the big, the hardest thing about the AT mentally is, is putting on wet 
clothes every single day. Yeah, I'm thinking back to our talk in, in April. Now that you're talking about this, it reminds me, you told a, a horrific chafing story, I think. Yeah, my nuts were <laughs> bleeding for like five days in a row. Um, and I use body glide. It's one of the things my <laughs> if you look at my hygiene kit on these trails, it's very little. I might carry two band-aids and maybe some tweezers to get some ticks off me. But body glide is one of those things that I always carry. Um, and I use it, but again, being wet all the time yeah. and like in the summer months, it's hot and you get that moisture. Yeah. I, I went to go take a piss down by someplace by a shelter and I pulled my shorts down and my nuts were just like a bloody mess. It was just, it was horrible. Mm. <laughs> my, my feet, I took, always take care of. I try to keep dry out my feet every moment I got. Um, but yeah, the nether regions, they suffered big time. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. And how about the, uh, the PCT did the PCT in two, is that 2019 or 2020? 2019. Yeah. 2019, 2019. And, uh, it, you mentioned, uh, Forrester pass as something as a, you know, in the Sierras, uh, something you mm -hmm. were looking forward to and that lived up to the hype as well. Yeah. I'd never, so the whole hiking elevation during the snow thing was completely new to me. I was, I was worried about that more than anything else going into that hike. It was a lot of firsts for me. I never, I never hiked through the desert heat before. I never hiked on snow before. Never used micro spikes or an ice axe. It was all a learning process. Um, and I, I learned as I went. I wouldn't say I became an expert at that stuff when I finished, but I felt a lot more comfortable the, the farther I went. So yeah, the first three passes in the Sierra, it was butthole pucker the whole time. Like I, my leg and knees were buckling. Like I was scared shitless. Because you, if you're not familiar with Forester Pass, unless you're a Southbinder, you're going through that thing on ice. Like it doesn't melt until like late August. So you're going to have to go through this. It's, there's an ice shoe. So basically, Forester Pass, you go up the pass, do some switchbacks, and then you hit this iconic ice shoe. Like you have to go across. It's maybe, oh, I don't know, 50 feet, something like that. But if you drop off the left side of that thing, you're going down like ice axe ain't going to stop you. It's so steep. And I know of one guy that, that went down that thing same year in 2019 and he had to get a death trail. He ended up splitting his kneecap open. Like you could see his bone, his kneecap. Um, so <laughs> I was scared shitless going over that. Um, but you, you take it one step at a time and, and you get more comfortable and uh, you, you make it through somehow. You know? Yeah. And 2019, that was a high snow year. Very high snow year. I think the Sierra were about 200% above average that year. Um, it's one of those things you can't predict. Like you have to get your permit ahead of time. So it's like you either flip it up to Washington and head southbound, which we couldn't do in 2019 because there was so much snow up there. So you couldn't flip anywhere. Like you could have, there were some people I think flipped to Oregon, just did some sections through Oregon and just kind of was buying time. But there was so much snow up there that year that it didn't matter how much time you bought you're going to hike the snow one way or another so i get you get to kennedy meadows and it was jam-packed i stayed there about a week um just seeing what other hikers were going to do for the sierra um and i was there a week and i'm like okay i can't wait any longer i gotta go so it's like go up there there's a lot of fear monitoring on the pct especially in the sierra like oh don't go up there you hear from locals you hear from other three hikers don't go up there it's too dangerous well, I got to see this shit with my own eyes. Like if I'll go up there and I'll say it's too dangerous. I'm not going to take somebody's word for it. 
because what's dangerous for them might not be dangerous for me and vice versa. So I wanted to see that shit with my own eyes. And I've always said no trail is worth my life. So if I get up there and I don't feel comfortable about going through there, I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? I'll go back and do it another year. The, the, the trails aren't going anywhere, but you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm stubborn as well. So I'm going to try something. And, uh, I know my limit there. If it becomes too dangerous, I'll bail, but I'm going to go up there and see it for myself. Okay. So you go up there, you see it for yourself. And what do you decide? Uh, I met this dude, um, going over Kearsarge passes, which is one of the, uh, first couple passes you go over, you actually have to do it twice. Cause to get into town, you have to do it twice going back and forth. Well, I, I did Kearsarge pass, uh, the second time and I was camped uh, by myself and I was thinking to myself that night, I'm like, all right, so I've already done like two passes and I didn't really feel comfortable. I, I wish I had somebody with me. Well, this guy from Israel shows up in my camp and, uh, he had never done this before either, but we sat around, we talked on that at camp and we're like, we're both scared shitless about this. Let's be scared shitless together and we'll push each other and we'll make sure each other are safe and we'll do this together. And he said, 100%, let's do it. So me and him, we worked through it together. First time hiking on snow and we just, we made sure each other were safe. We always made decisions together and we, we pushed forward and making it through. It took a long time. It took like uh, it took a good long month just over a month to get to the Sierra section. Um, but we made it. Okay. And before we move on to, uh, to the CDT, when you finish the AT and when you finish the PCT, what, what kinds of emotions are running through you? I mean, those are, you know, AT is 2,200 plus miles. The PCT is 2,600 plus miles. Uh, you've put a lot of time and energy and effort. You've been out in the wilderness for a long time, and now you are approaching the end is that, is that pretty emotional for you on those two trails? It's the worst and best feeling in the world combined. Like anybody that's through like one of these trails, you know, most of them will tell you the same thing. You, your body is so wrecked. And this is more so for me on the PCT and the CDT finishing. My body was so destroyed. My mind was so destroyed. I was mentally drained and I was right. So ready to be done. But then you get within like a hundred miles of the end and you're, thinking to yourself, I don't want to finish. Like, even though I'm in so much physical and mental pain, what I don't want to go back to where I was working for a living or just being off trail. You're so accustomed. All you're doing is walking, eat, sleep, shit, and walk for six months. It's all, you know, and this is your own little world. You've been stuck in for six months and you have to leave it. It sucks. It's a horrible feeling in your gut, even though you're so wrecked physically and mentally your heart tells you this is where I want to be and I don't want it to end. That's why you see so many repeat offenders on these long trails see, time and time again. I, I, so many times I've ran into other hikers that I've met on these other trails randomly at some camp spot. I'm like, Oh, you're out here doing this again, huh? Yup. It's because we, it's, it's, it's an amazing lifestyle and you get, you get stuck in that lifestyle. Yeah. And I don't want this to be uh, sound like a cliche that though it will, I think that uh, this is just a, an excellent demonstration of it is, it is not about the destination. It's about the journey. And I think mm -hmm. so many people in our lives, I mean, we're always looking towards what's next, what's next. You know, I have to get here. I have to do this. I uh, can't wait till this happens. And we, we lose out on the moment and uh, the time that we're, you know, metaphorically and literally on the trail, we should be enjoying every single moment. That's what it, that's what it is. It's not, it's not that end point. Uh, when it's all over. I mean, it's, it's what we're doing at the time. 
Exactly. And people, you know, a lot of people get caught up in numbers and, oh, I pushed 40 miles this day or 50 miles this day. I mm-hmm. give two shits. Like, I remember that sunset I just saw yesterday. That's what I remember. You know, it's the moments that you hold on to. Nobody cares how many miles you can hike in a day. Some people like to push themselves, and I get that, and to see what my body's capable of. But when you get home, six months after you get home from the trail, you're not going to remember that. You're going to remember an amazing sunset you had or amazing campfire. You shared some stories with other hikers. That's the shit you remember. You know? Yep. And not to put you on the spot, but uh, speaking of moments, what was the top moment from, from the AT? Oh, top moment from the AT. It, it, maybe cliche. I don't know. It was finishing. Seeing that Mount Katahdin sign. Yeah. Only because I had worked so hard to even get on that trail. Everything I had gone through from getting sober and working two full-time jobs for a year and a half to save up money to buy gear and take six months off to hike that trail. And then all the physical pain, mental pain I went through on the trail itself. I had that image of Mount Katahdin and that sign I had burned into my mind for like two years before I even stepped foot on that trail, wondering what it would be like to wrap my arms around that thing. It was just burned into my head. When I finally saw that thing, it's a flash flood of memories went through my head of what I had gone through leading up to that moment. It's a moment I will never forget in my life. Like I couldn't like some things I can, I'll never remember from that hike. If you ask me about a certain town or whatever, I, I don't remember, but that sign I'll remember that until I go into my grave for sure. Uh, I got chills right there. How about uh, top <laughs> moment from the PCT? PCT. I would say, <laughs> the moment I met the three people I finished the trail with, uh, if you're not familiar, we went through a pretty nasty snowstorm at the later end of the PCT and going into that last stretch, I had gone out solo and I was scared shitless from my life. Like I first time on that trail, I thought to myself, I might not finish because I was prepared to bail. You know, it was just too dangerous up there. When I, I pushed big miles the first two days and luckily caught this group of three that were ahead of me, three or four people. And seeing those people are like, okay, I have a chance to finish this trail. Cause it was just, it was amazing knowing I had some people that had my back finally on this last stretch going through that shit. It was awesome. And without those, without those people I hiked with, there's no way in hell I would have finished that trail. I would have bailed for sure. Looking back at what we went through. So yeah, hanging with those guys, that last stretch, it was awesome. Yeah. I'm smiling. I was smiling the whole time you're telling that because I was taking a cruise through your, your YouTube channel the other day. And I came upon that one of those videos from the end section of the PCT. And if you guys want to check out insan insanity uh, on the trail, check that out. I mean, the conditions were unbelievable. I mean, you were, you were marching through snow that was, was waist deep. I, I couldn't even see the, where the trail was and just nothing but that for miles ahead of you. I think you had 70 miles of that. Yeah, we couldn't see the trail either. <laughs> we were we were breaking trail. You could see um, divots sometimes where the trail might be, but we were we had our navigation out the whole time. We would walk in a direction that we thought there was a trail, and then keep checking the map. Okay, we're in a good location. We can keep pushing forward. But yeah, it was a nightmare. It was basically, you know, the last uh, sixty mile stretch was you know knee deep to crotch deep snow at, at places uh, up at elevation. So yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Um, <laughs> But uh, we all we all worked together and we made it somehow. <laughs> I wouldn't want to repeat that for sure. Um, it took me after I got home from that trail, it took me about three weeks to get the feelings feeling back in my fingertips. I had like frostbite on my fingertips from that. Oh, ouch. 
And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get to uh, what everybody's tuning in for, and that is the final leg of the Triple Crown for Ivy Tat, the, the Continental Divide Trail. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The John Freakin' Muir Pod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. And welcome back. We're talking Ivy Tat. Ivy Tat, before we get to the Continental Divide Trail, uh, let's spend just a little bit of time on your YouTube channel. When did you start that and how quickly did it grow in popularity? Because you have a lot of followers at this time. I think I started the uh, the channel itself. I think I started about six years ago. Um, when I started that channel, I knew I wanted to start a YouTube channel, but I didn't know what I wanted it to be about. I I just recently got into you know backpacking, mountain biking, these kinds of things. So I didn't. I, I wasn't thinking I was going to start a hiking channel per se. What I if you go way back on my channel, I started filming myself like working out at the gym and mountain bike videos mainly, um, which quickly turned into uh, doing weekend trips. So I'd go out on the AT for a weekend with my dog and I filmed that. Um, it wasn't, I didn't plan on, it was, it was for my own personal enjoyment going to remember these, these times I, I was spending with my dog outside. Um, so by the time I had decided to through hike, well, I'd already had this channel started. I'm like, well, I kind of know how to use movie maker and uh, I know how to kind of put clips together. So I said, I'm going to vlog my through hike um, mainly because I wanted, again, look back on this stuff years from now and be able to see on my whole hike on a, on, on video. I thought it would be cool. Um, you know, some people are out there putting pen to paper every night journaling. I figured this would be a video journal for me. Um, so that's why I did it. And, uh, I, I've, I've put out a video every single day, basically the last, last three trails. Um, and then as far as it taking off, I had no aspirations of any, not a single person, person watching my videos. Um, it, it, it I had a somewhat of a base following when I started the AT only because I put out a, uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the track. They, they do like their uh, badger sponsorship every year. And I figured, well, I get some free gear at least. So I put out a video, a quick, like 30 second video for the contest. I ended up finishing in like the top five or whatever. So a lot of people knew me from the track. And, um, and then when I hit the AT, it just kind of word of mouth type thing, you know, just snowballed from there. And I quickly realized, holy shit, what, what started is my own video journal. Now I have like 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people wa watch me walk every day. It's pretty weird. But yeah, it snowballed pretty quick. Any added pressure knowing that there's that, there's that kind of audience uh, watching what you're doing out there? None whatsoever. Anybody that's followed me for any period of time knows I could give two shits about what people think of me. I'm, I'm the most vulgar, like no filter person you'll ever find on one of these three likes, at least on youtube so yeah i don't i don't care it's you know i don't i stopped reading comments mainly i do read comments from time to time but i stopped reading them mainly because there's always going to be some 
critic out there that's not hiking. He's just uh, an armchair hiker. You know, it's easy to watch somebody going through pain and say, well, you should have done it this way kind of thing. So I just do my own thing out there. If people like it, cool. If they don't like it, that's cool too. You know? mm-hmm. How would you describe your, the style of your videos? I got a good credit to two hikers um, for my style. So when I started, when I knew I was going to vlog this thing on the AT, I figured I watched some guys that have done it in the past. Now this whole vlogging YouTuber thing is, is fairly recent times. You know, you have Dixie and Darwin who became probably the two most popular ones. But even before those guys, there were um, guys like uh, John Zahorian, who I can only familiar with him. Um, he worked for a gear company um, for a while, but he's a triple crowner. He's done the PCT like four times. It's okay. insane. But he he's a good video guy. He was uh, not a vlogger per se, but he put out really good videos when he got off these trails. So I watched him as well as uh, Nemor, which who doesn't he doesn't hike anymore. He liked the AT and the PCT vlog every day. Um, and those two guys, if you watch their videos, they, they're the ones who started like setting the camera down on the trail and walking past it rather than just like walking with a camera in front of your face. They were actually setting up shots and kind of making it like something you would see on a history or discovery type show. And I thought that was the coolest thing. It shows a different perspective. Like this guy's just not holding a camera. He's putting this camera down and walking past it. So you can not only, you not only see him, but you see the whole landscape that, he, that he's in. It puts uh, a scale to the things when you're hiking through these massive landscapes you see how little the person is in the shot and i thought that was the coolest thing in the world so i adopted that style of hiking kind of put my own twist on it over the last few years but i got to give credit to those two guys because they're the ones who inspired me to uh to, to film like that yeah how many extra miles do you think you walked on the the cdt by setting up your camera and then walking back and then walking through frame and then going back and getting your camera i don't even want to think about it but I'll, i will say <laughs> It's a, it's a nightmare. There, I, I could make a whole like outtake video of me cussing at the camera as I'm walking back to it. Like the shit I do for YouTube. I say it to myself all the time. Like I am in pain. I've already hiked 25 miles to the day. And here I am setting up this camera and walking back to it. It's a lot of fucking work. The worst of it uh, I remember was well, on this last trail in CDT. There's a section called you go through the Gila, Gila wilderness where you're, you're basically hiking in a slot canyon uh, through the Gila river. You're, you're crossing this river like uh, over a hundred times, you know, well, I would set that camera up, walk across the river, then have to walk back across the river, to get the camera, then walk again across the river. So I did each river crossing three times. Not every one I filmed myself, but a good portion of them I did. <laughs> it was just uh, back in the water. Here we go. I got to get that camera. I, I did a lot only because I thought it would make a good shot. And so I am thinking of the viewers in that regard. I think it would look better for them to see me struggle across this river crossing rather than just like getting to the other side and saying, Oh, that was a rough river crossing. Oh, that was cold. They can actually see me do it. And I, that, you know, I, I did that for the viewers watching my videos. You are a storyteller. It's, it's, it's definitely show, not tell. It's not you sitting on the side of a river, looking in the camera and saying, Oh, I did this and I did that. And I did this. Uh, you definitely show the viewers what you're going through out there. And I know they appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate I, it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I don't want to trash anybody that does these videos because everybody's got their own style, but you know, I, a lot of the videos I've watched, you see you know, somebody on the top of a major peak or something. They're like, wow, look at this view and the flowers and the sun, rainbow and all this. Well, how the hell did you get up that mountain? That's what I want to know. Like, 
it's a struggle. So I generally turn that camera on long before I get to the top of that mountain. You can see me huffing and puffing, and it gives a, a good uh, perspective of how actually how much you're working out there. Yeah, I think if people just went strictly from Instagram feeds, uh, they would think that you know hiking that's it's a beautiful, joyful. Uh, everything is nope. is uh, rainbows and sunshine, and that you don't uh, see the the work that goes into getting to those spots. It's false advertisement for sure, and it gets people out on the trail. But that's I I think that has that's a big reason why a lot of people quit these trails because they they take Instagram as what through hiking is, and they don't get to see the ass chafing and the toenails falling off and the throwing up and the overexertion and, and malnutrition. You don't see that a lot on social media. So it's, it's, yes, it's beautiful and the flowers are blooming and the deer and the birds and everything that is 100% true, but there's another side of through hiking that a lot, not a lot of people get to see. It's as tough as it is beautiful. Out there. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I really enjoy the opening section of each of your videos. You're very consistent with that in the opening of your videos and particularly the shot of your backpack where I think there's a patch on there that says, uh, I say the F word a lot. <laughs> yeah, I put that patch on there. I, I had a patch that said adventurous as fuck. I had my first two through hikes. And then, you know, the, the main thing that people just discover me on YouTube, they can't get over my language. Like it has become this whole thing. Like this guy swears every other sentence. Yes, I do swear a lot. It comes from being a line cook for 10 years. Next time you go to Applebee's, I'll tell you right now, the people that are cooking your food back there are swearing every five seconds even though you're having this beautiful, quiet dinner. Okay. It's how line cooks talk, construction workers, whatever it is. So I'm just being me out there. Now I will say the people that do meet me in person that only know me from YouTube, I get this comment all the time. Like you don't swear as much as I thought you did. Well, you got to understand you're watching a 10 minute video from a 10 to 12 hour hike. Generally, when I turn the camera on, I'm pissed off about something and I need to vent it out of my system. So when you condense all that down into a 10-minute video, yes, it looks like I swear all the time. But the other moments that I don't have the camera on, I'm dancing through the tulips. Tulips, like, this is awesome. So, yes, I swear a lot. And I would say the majority of thru-hikers I've met swear just as much as I do. You just don't see it on YouTube. Ivy Ted, I have a confession to make. Back when we talked in, in April, I had uh, discovered you by your Instagram account and I'd reached out to you through through Instagram and that's how we connected. Mm -hmm. And it was only after we had had our, our talk that I, mm -hmm. I just knew, found out that you had a YouTube channel. And so I, I sat down and uh, started watching your, some of your YouTube videos with my wife and she's like, oh my gosh, listen to the language. And I said, yeah, he wasn't like that on the, on the episode. He didn't hardly curse at all on the episode when we were talking. So... Yeah, I'm a normal human being. I don't swear every 24 hours a day, but on YouTube, it looks like I do only because it's condensed down into a video. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. And you've got stuff to be mad about at that point. You, it's been a long day. <laughs> yeah. 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 My toenails are falling off. I'm sore. My, I've been hiking 30 miles. I, yeah. You'd, you'd be just as pissed off as I am. <laughs> All right. That's great. Okay. Hey, let's talk about the CDT. This is, uh, I know you were really looking forward to it when we talked back in April. This is going to be the, you know, uh, the final leg of the, of the triple crown for you. And how did it go? I watched, I watched your videos and I know that you encountered some challenges out there. It was tough. It was, it was the toughest one of all three for sure. Um, you know, 
And that's what a lot of people do. It's a natural progression for through hikers that do the triple crown. A lot of them start on the AT, then go to the PCT, CDT. Progressively gets harder, mainly because the CDT is it combines the worst of the PCT and the AT, I think, into one, like the toughest parts. Like, yes, you have the terrible weather, but you also have, you know, crazy terrain, desert heat, and um, you have longer water carries. It's just a lot of the other two trails combined into one. It makes it so difficult. Um, yeah, it, it was rough. The, the, the hardest thing for me on the CDT it's just the, the constant grind. Like it never got easier. It was just my body progressively got worse as I went. Um, I never got my second wind or third wind on that trail. It just kept getting harder and harder. And you have to, you know, mentally it was, it was tough to keep pushing on that trail. Um, on top of that, the constant road walking that you have on the CDT, which was probably the worst part about it. Um, I would say 80% of New Mexico, you're on a, on a road of some sort, whether it be dirt or paved, you're on a road. We had fire closures in Colorado where we had to do like a 20 plus mile pavement walk that destroyed your, your body. Um, the, the CDT is very incomplete. I think they say it's about 70% complete, but you're doing a lot of road walking on that trail and it fucks with your head on those long road walks for sure. Mentally draining. Right. And there's a lot of alternate routes. And I know that people, uh, I've talked to folks who, who criticize folks who maybe take a, a road, which is, you know, pretty, pretty flat and level as opposed to going up and over, uh, the obstacle in front of them. What was your, what was your path? Did you, did you go through the mountains? I took took plenty of alternates, you know, easiest way possible. (laughs) A lot of the times, um, there were some sections, you know, a lot of these alternates, it's the choose your own adventure trail. So, you know, I would say, like, for example, I was talking about the Gila River Wilderness. Mm-hmm. That is not the CDT. That's an alternate off the CDT. But the actual CDT, you're going up at elevation with absolutely zero water for miles. Like, there's some people that did it. You're carrying seven liters on your back. Have fun with that shit. I'm going to go play down here in the water on top of it being gorgeous. So, yes, choose your own adventure. There's plenty of times where I took a side trail because there's water there, you know, it could have been more beautiful over on the CDT, but I'm out of water. I got to go over this alternate and get water. So you get there, how you get there. You know what I mean? There's a lot more, it's a lot easier to be a purist on the Appalachian trail. And I was one of them. I'm like, I got to see every white blaze. Like I would get to a road crossing where I got dropped off. I would cross the road. Just to say I, I left off right where I, I ended the day before PCT and CDT. I was like, Yes, I'm going to cut these damn switchbacks because it's quicker down the fucking mountain. Like, I don't give a shit about being a purist. I'm trying to get to Canada before the snow hits. So, yeah, you'll find a lot more people taking whatever route they will to get there to from point A to point B on the CDT. You know, you can tell some people's hike will last like 2,600 miles, 2,700 miles. Some people's will be 3,100. It's just whatever you want to do. We're all through hikers. Right. Now I talked to uh, Ginger Balls about his CDT experience, and he was really not a big fan of New Mexico, especially the start. Uh, he said the water sources were very um, difficult. Uh, the, the water sources that he did find typically had uh, cow patties in them. Uh, he said it was just an absolute miserable start. He, in fact, he said that if if the CDT had been his first trail, his first long trail, he wouldn't have done the other two. It just so happened yeah. it was the third trail for him. So 
and ginger balls is a badass so that that should tell you something like if he's having a hard time it's it's a tough stretch and it was a tough stretch the water sources you get they're shitty like there's no way around it um PCT, you got water caches, quite a bit of them, where you're getting drinking legit water that people have left out there for you. CDT, very few times you come on a, a water cache. Like you're drinking out of the cow tanks. You're sharing this New Mexico with cows, basically. Mm-hmm. And there's water tanks out there for those cows. You're drinking out of the same water. So, yep, there's dead flies, there's dead bugs. You're kicking cows out of there with you're stepping through cow shit just to get to the water. That's what you're left with. But that's all you've got. So be happy with what you got because without it, you'd be dead. And there are there are no natural water sources in New Mexico on a CDT. Not one. You're relying on water tanks the whole time. And I'm one of those hikers where I'm paranoid about water. Some people can dry camp, meaning you camp not nowhere near water. You just haul water to camp. I don't like doing that. I'm paranoid about water. So a lot of times, especially through New Mexico. I would either cut my day short because I knew I had water here or I would extend it way into the night to get to the next water source. I had to have water by me to feel peace of mind. Um, But yeah, New Mexico, as well as the Great Basin in Wyoming, same situation. You're going through long, dry stretches with no shade and shitty water. But you need it to live. So you take it, take what you got and don't bitch too much. You make it sound so appealing. (laughs) <laughs> right it's, it's it sucks man I, new Me- or wyoming for me was the worst of it um yeah new mexico the water sucked but that great basin water holy shit i still have the aftertaste in my mouth for drinking that stuff it was so ungodly like lukewarm just like bugs everywhere cow shit everywhere i don't care how my i, I threw like four or five uh, drink mix packets into one liter of water it was still nasty it was horrible Wow, I did not expect that. I was gonna, in fact, I was gonna ask you, you know, worst state on the on the CDT. I expected it to be uh, New Mexico. Maybe it is New Mexico, but I did not expect Wyoming to be down there as well. Just the Great Basin section. The rest of like the winds, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, like unbelievable. The some of the best camp spots I've ever had in my life were in the Wind River Range. I mean, it was gorgeous. But you go through the Great Basin and you're you're hiking through. 100 degree plus temperatures with absolutely no shade. You can't, I was carrying an umbrella. I couldn't even use it because the wind is whipping so hard. So you're exposed in the sun all day long and you're hiking. You know, I remember at one point I got up at like two in the morning and started hiking just so I could get to the next water. I had done 20 miles before like 9 a.m., like just to get to water because um, it's so ungodly hot out there and there's no shade. It's, it's miserable. But the rest of Wyoming was awesome. Okay. What was the, what was the top moment on the, the CDT for you? Mm, getting to Glacier National Park for me um, towards the end there. That's where, like I said, I lived up in Montana. I lived 30 miles from Glacier National Park up there. So that was my introduction to backpacking was Glacier. And I remember I hadn't been back there since I moved out of Montana. And I remember how beautiful it was. And I was so looking forward to it. Even on day number one, getting up to Glacier, I knew how special it was going to be seeing those mountains again on my last leg of my triple crown hike back to the same mountains I started hiking at years before was special. And it was the whole, the whole hike through Glacier was, that place is unbelievably beautiful. Any encounters with uh, big animals? I've never seen so many moose in my life. I remember on the AT, I saw my first moose ever in the wild up in Maine, 
crossed over the uh what was it camera where river was anyway saw my first mo- uh, wild moose in, in maine and i was like shaking like a leaf i you know, those animals are huge and then i get up to like colorado and i'm seeing like multiple mo- moose every single day like they were thick as deer it was crazy how many moose and i don't know how many times i got woken up by moose and where they were around my camp and it was it was very cool um yeah there's a lot of them uh, i saw a bunch of black bear um and i think i saw two grizzlies but it was never a situation to where i thought my life was in danger um but yeah it was it was the moose and and those moose can be just as dangerous as grizzlies though i was always aware uh i had a good stare down with one up in uh montana up in the bob marshall wilderness it was early in the morning barely any light out and this damn moose was standing right in the middle of the cdt and there was thick brush on both sides i couldn't get around him i'm like yelling at him and shit and this is in the middle of the rut, like in Montana and the Bob Marshall, nobody's going to come help me for miles. Um, and this moose could charge me at any moment, but then there luckily nothing ever happened out of it, but something you got to be aware of when you're out there, especially in the Bob, because the Bob's so damn remote. That's where I used to work at when I was a pack guide up in Montana. And I know how remote that place is. And, um, I've had some bad situations where I was, I got hurt physically up in, up there when I was working there's nobody coming to get you like you're what you're hiking out of there walking out of there um unless you want to hit your spot device and that's a hell of an expensive helicopter ride out of there <laughs> well you know i did some research and i think i saw statistics that uh, moose in montana anyway uh, moose is is there are more deaths from moose than there are grizzly bears so they are the the deadlier yeah. animal yep those things will trample your ass and not even blink yep you gotta be aware of those things for sure those are beautiful animals. You see one up close, they're massive, and the cows will charge you too if they're protecting their young. So um, don't be those people you see on Yellowstone National Park videos out there with your damn GoPro saying taking selfies. Like, no, this is a wild animal, and it will fuck you up. Yeah. Did you ever hear the story of uh, Jeff Legend Garmeyer and the moose antlers? No, I don't believe I heard this story. Okay, great story. And I, was, I was talking to him about, uh, I think he did the Great Western Loop, and he was, mm-hmm. he was pretty close to a town. He was, he was heading into a town and he was on path, uh, trees on either side, high brush. And mm-hmm. he saw these antlers and he thought, oh, you know, these, these are in great condition. I, you know, I'm not that far from a town. I'm going to, I'm going to pick these up. I'll carry them into town. I'll ship them to my house and uh, put those on a wall somewhere. It'd be, it'd be fantastic. And he gets down to the, the antlers and, and grabs a hold of them and quickly discovers that they are still attached to a bull moose who was uh, in the brush there. And so he spent yeah. the next, the next five, 10 minutes uh, dodging this, this moose and keeping trees in between him and the moose. It was a classic story. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen videos of moose charging people, but yeah, I'm sure his butthole is pretty damn fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, yeah. I, even though the beginning part of the story, like those moose antlers are heavy as shit. Like, <laughs> i wouldn't want to pick those and haul those things out of the woods but he's a crazy dude to begin with so yeah that, that's pretty funny yeah i'm glad i don't have a i mean that's a cool story story to tell i wouldn't want to experience it firsthand though <laughs> <laughs> fair point hey um cdt more populated in terms of hikers or less populated than the other two i would say um from a normal year the normal crowds you get in the CDT, it was more populated in 2021 um, only because you had basically two years of, of hikers out there. Uh, many hikers, including myself, had planned on doing that trail in 2020. 
as everybody knows, COVID-19 hit and people were encouraged to stay off the trail. So you had the people that planned on doing it in 2020, as well as the people that were already going to do it in 2021 out there. So the crowds were there, um, but it was still, that being said, it was still less populated than the AT and PCT. There, there was, I went probably, there's many times I went three, three days without seeing not just through hikers, but not even a single person, especially when I got up north. Um, it's, it's, it's less populated for sure. Some of these towns you go into, they're, they're podunk towns. Like there's nothing around there. They're not, you know, in the AT of hiker towns, like everybody knows about the Appalachian Trail. There, the whole economy is based off the Appalachian Trail. You're going in these towns in like Wyoming, they could give two shits that you're a hiker. Like you're lucky if you get a hitch. So, um, it's very unpopulated. Some of these areas you're going into. Right. And did you pick up a, a tramley or did you make some, fr- some friends out there? I'll never be part of a tramley. <laughs> There's people that try to recruit me into their tramley. They're all good people. I'm not bad mouthing them, but right. I'm a solo dude, man. I'm out there to hike by myself. That's where I'm happiest. I, I um, appreciate the people that I hiked around for safety purposes. Like I did on the PCT in the Sierra. I joined up with somebody. I did the same things when I got to the San Juans uh, on the CDT for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always happier when I'm hiking by myself. Mm-hmm. You see people that are out there rolling 10 deep, five deep as a group. They hike the whole damn trail as a group. They, that's the experience they like. And that's, that's their hike. That's what they like to do. I just like hiking by myself. Got it. And while you were out there by yourself, uh, did you ever have any moments where you thought, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to be able to finish. I'm not going to make it. Uh, anything happened that, Don't, that put that doubt in your mind? There, I've had, yeah, I had a doubt. The major doubt I had on the CDT was I ended up getting sick towards the end. I don't know if I had COVID or not. Um, it very well could have been, but I think more so it, it came from malnutrition. I was so, I lost so much weight. I think I lost about 25 pounds on the CDT and by the end of it, my body was shutting down and I, I pushed a, a long day of a really tough terrain, um, 26, 27 miles. It was just nothing but up, down, up, down, up, down in, in Montana. And I got to camp and I, I got done, uh, hammering in my final tent stake to set up camp. I stood up and the blood rushed out of my head and I collapsed on the ground in front of my tent, just completely passed out. I came to, and I'm like, Holy shit. What just happened? Um, I went down to the river and kind of dunked my head in the river and kind of came to a little bit, got my body temperature back to normal. And, and, uh, I woke up the next day and I'm like, that was scary as hell. Like I'd passed out before I did it twice on the PCT, but this was different. I don't know. My body had basically shut down. Um, and I had, I luckily only had like six miles to hike the next day to get into town. I got into that town and you know, I took a few zeros and I didn't really didn't feel any better. Um, I wasn't getting worse, but I wasn't feeling any better. And I, that whole time in town, I was thinking to myself, is this really worth it? What I'm doing here to myself? Like I, it, there's no shame in quitting right now, but I was so close to the end. I just like pushed through it and, uh, and, and I'm finishing, but yeah, that, that moment, was there when I'm like, I don't know if my body can handle it. My mind is there. My mind can keep pushing, but my body is shutting down. So, Yeah. Let me, I want to touch upon um, one of the most powerful videos that I watched on your, on your channel. 
And you are mm-hmm. a, no doubt, you are a tough dude. You, uh, you know, three long trails. That's incredible. Uh, quite an accomplishment. Uh, you look very imposing. You've got uh, a, a very full <laughs> beard. You've got, you know, tattoos everywhere, right? But I, yeah. I tell you, I watched, I watched you uh, set up your camera and you get to that, that uh, marker at the Canadian border of the CDT and you sit down and you have a moment there. I mean, you, emotion overcomes you and you're literally, you can't get any words out. You're, you're, you're sobbing uh, there yeah. against that monument. That was just so powerful. Yeah. I'm a human being. I look and rough and, and on the exterior, but you go through emotional roller coasters when you're out there. I'm no different than anybody else. And I, I cry quite a bit on these trails. There's many times not on video that I've broken down crying just from emotional, the emotional the things you go through on these trails, you're overcoming barriers so many times, things that you didn't think were possible that you could do. And here you are, you're, you're just, you're, you're completing these goals that you set out there. Like to somebody from an outsider seem impossible, um, but you're doing it. And um, something comes over you and having finished the triple crown uh, after everything I've been to and getting sick towards the end and breaking through that, it was a powerful moment for sure. Um, a relief that I was done, but also a sense of accomplishment and being proud of myself. But then also knowing that the last leg is finally done. Like that was my goal from like four or five, six years ago. I, I dreamed of this. Here I am sitting at the Canadian border by myself after hiking, you know, 26, 27, 2,800 miles. And I, I did it. It's, it's a powerful moment. You'll never be able to put it into words, really. Um, it's special for sure. Mm-hmm. I had the same you, feeling up on when I finished the AT as well as the PCT. And did you, did you have any doubters in your life that uh, thought, yeah, he, there's no way he's doing this. There's no way he can do that. Um. Yeah, people. I want people say, "Oh, you'll." That's impossible. But they're like, it was more so like, why would you want to do something like that? You know, I got that a lot. Like, why the hell would you want to go hike across the country wearing the same clothes every day for six months? It's funny when I was listening. I listened to some podcasts on the trail, and I remember Joe Rogan was interviewing some dude, and I was kind of just it was background noise, but I heard him say Appalachian Trail. He was interviewing somebody through like the AT. And listening to him, an outsider like Joe Rogan who doesn't hike, saying, this dude hikes over 2,000 miles from Georgia to Maine. Like, that is, why would you do something like that? I'm just laughing my ass off because it's what we do, (laughs) you know? Having done it three times now, I look at outsiders and think, why the hell would you want to go to work every day for 30 years at the same job? That, to me, is crazy. Like, what I'm doing out here is the easy part of life. Um, yeah, I thought that was, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Why is Joe Rogan interviewing my guests? He needs to stay in his lane. I'm gonna have to tell him that. I know. I, I kind of turned it off real quick because hearing somebody that doesn't know anything about hiking, talking about the Appalachian trail, it means so much to me. I was like, eh, get out of here. <laughs> nice. Now you, you, you frame my next question perfectly. You, you've been doing this, been focused on this for six plus years. You've accomplished mm-hmm. it. What's next for IBTAT? Any, any idea of, of what the next challenge is for you? Hiking, more hiking. I can't tell you for sure. I, I'm so into this lifestyle now that, you know, what inspires me the most, and I, I met a couple dudes who have inspired me big time. 
to continue this lifestyle. The, the old timers that have been around the, the trails for so long, uh, Nimble Will Nomad. I got to meet him when I worked at Mountain Crossings in the AT last year. I met Pappy at, in Georgia on the AT. These dudes are up in their 70s, 80s, 90s. They're still hiking. Like that is awesome. It's an activity. As long as you take care of your body and your mind, it's something you can do well into older age. And now that I'm 40 years old, I, I, it's funny to me because when I was like early twenties, the people in my life at that time that were the age I am now complained how old they were like, Oh, I'm 40. I'm 50 years old. I'm so old. Blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. Like Pappy is 90 years old. He's still huffing up mounds on the Appalachian trail. Like I'm young. I have many more miles to do. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. As long as my body holds out, I'm going to continue hiking. So I'm already messing around, Googling, nerding out on trails to do. There's a whole laundry list of trails I want to do in my life. Um, I would really love to go overseas. And that's what I'm kind of leaning towards. If I can make it happen next year, I've always had this obsession with Scotland and there's the Scottish national trail, which is about 530 miles from coast to coast. I would absolutely love to do it um, for photography reasons, mainly because it's so beautiful. Uh, hiking like the West Highland away in Scotland looks amazing. It'll probably piss rain every day, but I would love to do something overseas only because I've never been over there, but there's many trails in the U S that I still want to do. Um, AZT long trail. Um, you got the North country trail, you know, it's just it goes on and on and on. There's always one more trail. To do. Yeah. If it, if it rains all the time in Scotland, you get the full uh, Scottish experience up there in the Highlands. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I might have to go full free ball style with a kilt <laughs> just to get some breathability there. We'll see. But yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to make that happen. If I can do that next year, that would be that would be awesome. Okay, uh, let's do a quick top five. Top five challenging moments from all three trails. Not not five for each trail, but just overall top. Maybe your maybe it's the low five. Your 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 lowest moments from the, from the long trails. Uh, the lowest moments. Let's see. I had a moment on, um, it was a road walk that the fire closure on the CDT in Colorado, it was a highway walk, like 20, 30 miles, something like that on pavement. And I ended up breaking down crying on video. I remember this day. It was just, I was miserable. Like my feet were thrashed and I'm just, I had no choice, but to walk on this damn highway. It, it was horrible moment. Those road walks destroy you mentally. Um, that was a low moment on the CDT when I got sick up in, in Montana, that was another major low moment. Um, when my ankle cracked out on the PCT towards the end, because again, mentally I'm there, I, I know I can finish, but my body's given out and my ankle, I couldn't put pressure on it for a few days. That was a low moment. Um, yeah, different variants of that. The, the ones where the physical problems are out of your hands a lot of the times, but mentally, you know, you can keep going. Those are the hardest moments when your body gives out on you, even though mentally you're all there and you know, you want to push, but you know, if your ankle's broken or whatever, you can't do it. You can't do it. Those are the, those are the real hard moments. Mm -hmm. And as we are sitting here talking, you know, so much has come back to me from the last time we chatted. And so we're at that time of the, of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip inside of the week and to make sure that you don't use the same one as last time. 
Uh, I remember I mean, last remember, time. Oh, mine was last time. Do you was, remember what it was? I do. I do. You were just talking about it. And that's what reminded me. It is never quit on a bad day. There you go. That's it. That's always a good one. Yep. So um, what, what is, what, what piece of trail wisdom do you have this time to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? I hate to be cliche about the whole thing. And then there's a lot of cliches get thrown on through hiking world, but they're all, they're all true. And it's the whole hike your own hike thing. And this one I've always stuck to from the get go. Like you have to think to yourself, some people plan these hikes for years. Some people are, are selling their homes. They're, they're putting stuff in storage. They're taking six months of a life that are leaving behind to go do this. How many years or weeks or months or whatever it is did you plan to do this hike? This is your hike and you need it to be the best that you can make it. So you cannot let any other people or the only thing that dictates your hike out there is mother nature. Like she has first say, but besides that, if you're in a group that is pressuring you to push bigger miles or go into a town that you don't want to or do whatever, this is your damn hike. You do what you want and you have to be selfish about it. You know, a lot of times and say, Hey, this is, this is what I plan on doing. I'm going to go out on my own and uh, maybe I'll meet up with another group, but you have to stick to that. This is your hike and all the sacrifices and everybody that's out there has made some sort of sacrifice, big or small. So you have to think, yeah, I sacrificed this. This is my hike and I need to make it special. So hike your own damn hike. Great advice. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Ivy Tat. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Ivy Tat, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your next adventures? Um, pretty minimal with the social media these days, but Instagram is saved by mountains. Um, photography has become a major hobby of mine. Luckily, I can combine it with my hiking addiction. So I post, post quite often on, on Instagram. And then uh, for videos, I'll head over to YouTube and just type in IBTAT, I-B-T-A-T. Um, you can find all three of my through hikes and playlists um, better than Netflix. You'll, you'll, it's definitely binge worthy. There's uh, hundreds of videos out there for you to watch me suffering on these long trails as, having, as well as having the best time of my life. So you go head on over there and I always keep uh, videos updated on both platforms as to what's, uh, what, I'm, what I'm doing next. So. You can uh, find out my, my future endeavors on both platforms. Yeah. Doc's mom will vouch for that. Uh, better than Netflix. Check it out. <laughs> All right. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, Ivy Tat, you have a TikTok account? Got a TikTok feed coming up? I do not. No, I'm never. Uh, I'm staying away from that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, can barely, I can barely keep up with YouTube and, and Instagram. I had just started the TikTok account when I had my my second interview with Ginger Balls, and I told him that, and he looked at me and, and called me a teenage girl. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Keep doing or, you. It's all good. That's right. That's right. Or if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com as well. Ivy Tad, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a, a book, a movie, documentary, website, uh, some kind of media, adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. Uh, we're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Okay. I'm going to give you, um, there's a, there's a book and a PBS documentary that I have enjoyed for years and years and years. It's not that it's related to through hiking or anything like that, but it's a, it's one that's stuck with me. It's a story of, uh, Dick Prenicky. If you're uh, familiar with him, 
Uh, if you're not, go check out his stuff. There's a book called uh, One Man's Wilderness, and they did a PBS documentary on him years ago, which you can still find online. Um, and basically, Dick Prennicky in his 50s, decided to go off-grid up in Alaska, built a log cabin with hand tools, filmed himself doing it, and lived up there until his 70s. And the PBS documentary is amazing. All footage that he took himself, and uh, as well as the book, is, is amazing, too. So I highly recommend those. And it's a good read and watch, especially in these winter months when you might be stuck inside. Um, yeah, I, I go back and watch that quite often. That's perfect. That's going on the Christmas list for Doc right there. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one for sure. Um, yeah, a walk or uh, one man's wilderness. I think the PBS documentary might be called, called something different, but just search uh, one man's wilderness. You'll find it. Okay. And before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What did we miss? Uh, I'm not the person completely that you see on YouTube. The, the one comment that gets repeated constantly to me that has started to get under my skin is the whole language thing. And it takes a lot of times people meeting me in person to say, Hey, this is actually a good dude. Um, you know, I'm not the, the cussing sailor dude only on YouTube that you see on those videos. I'm a normal dude that goes through normal problems out there. Um, so you only see one side of the story. And uh, the people that get to meet me find that out, that I'm actually a pretty decent human being. I'm not a, uh, a cussing sailor 24 hours a day. Okay. And that's a wrap from the John Freaky Mirror Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Ivy Tap? Uh, my dog, Roscoe P. Waggletails. I missed him dearly every time I go hike on these long trails. So he's passed out on the floor below me right now. I'm uh, look forward to spending this winter with him for sure. Nice. Who, who watches Roscoe when you're gone? My, some of my followers the last three years. That's how amazing these people are. They've almost become, some of them become like family to me. Um, there's always somebody willing and, and uh, <laughs> anxious to watch Roscoe when I go out on these long trails. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're picking bugs and sticks and cow patties out of your water. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Amen to that.